Hi, everybody. Welcome to another Prog Report podcast interview. You know, a while back we did a top five episode with Haken and uh, Haken Top Five Songs. And the band are back with their fifth album called Vector, which comes out October 26th on Inside Out. I'm pleased to have guitarist for the band, Rich Henschel, back to the show. Hello, Roy. Yeah, hey, man. How you doing? Very good. How you doing? I'm good. So it's not too late over there, right? What is it? Eight o'clock? Yeah, it's not so bad. I just put my put my son to bed. <laughs> um, yeah, it's eight o'clock, so it's not not too late. How you been, man? What's been going on? All good. Just kind of prepping really for the uh, for the tour coming up next month. So just been learning loads of new riffs and licks and. Yeah, it's a lot of work because, uh, well, you've heard it. So it's, well, <laughs> yeah, I have, I have heard it. It's technical. So there's a lot, a lot to get under our fingers. I want to talk about the album a lot. I'm super excited about it, man. It is awesome. It, it just as a, even just as a fan, it's it's freaking amazing. Um, but I want to touch base real quick on, you know, the 10 year anniversary and the and the release of the live album and and just how that all went the last year. I mean, what was that like? It's been yeah, it's been a crazy ten years. It's totally flown by quicker than ever. Really, it's just flown by. Um, but we've never had a live album in all of those ten years. Um, we had loads of requests over those ten years, but uh, we've never actually gotten around to doing it until this year. And we we basically filmed the final show of our last European leg, which was in Amsterdam. And uh, yeah, it went went really well. That was the last show of the whole tour. So that the music was fully ingrained in us at that point, yeah. uh, which gave us a bit more freedom to focus on the performance. And yeah, really happy with the sound. And we got Jerry Gidros, who uh, mixed it for us. Yeah. He's um, he kind of he's our sound guy basically in America, and he's been working with us for a few years now. So he's really familiar with our sound. Um, yeah, great guy as well. And he does a lot of um, work with Mike Portnoy. So that's yeah. how we cross paths. Yeah, he's great. Um, I saw him at the uh, the Neil Morse weekend this the, the that he does over there this weekend, and he was over there mixing that too. So, the Jerry, well, pop, Jerry <laughs> he pops up everywhere. Uh, yeah. You know, when when you started the band, uh, you know, and you're working on Aquarius, or even even let's say before that, did you imagine? Was there a plan like to get to this point? Was did you even think that far ahead? It's crazy because you're living in the moment, but then you ha you have a kind of plan in your head. We even we had we had a rough idea of what we wanted to achieve, but the the reality of actually making that happen, you know, you never know whether it's gonna gonna happen. But one of the the boxes we wanted to tick was actually signing to Inside Out, um, because a lot of uh, our favorite bands as we were growing up were signed to Inside Out, so that was definitely a, a box to tick. And eventually, we did managed to tick that box when we um, just before the mountain and ever since we joined Inside Out it really took us to the next level and we started reaching new people and but yeah I mean I still feel that we're at the beginning of our journey to be honest yeah. still there's a, there's a lot to achieve and we, we still haven't played a lot of places around the world we haven't played in Southeast Asia which we'd love to do um, and we're going to South America for the first time early next year so there's still a lot more to achieve but um yeah i'm really happy with where we are but it's, it's an uphill struggle i guess <laughs> yeah i mean it seems like the the fan base has grown by a lot since since i first discovered you guys back in the mountain which is you know five years now but in five years i mean i'm starting to see 
a lot of talk about the band. I see t-shirts of you guys when I go to shows here in the U.S. You know, it, it seems to have really become something. And that's got to be amazing. It really is cool. Yeah, like you say, since the mountain, that's when momentum started to grow. And that was, I guess, like the gateway album for a lot of um, our fans that listen to us now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's been crazy. And then last year we played the Shattered Fortress with Portnoy. So it's crazy to think that some of our heroes that we've grown up listening to are actually fans of our band, um, which yeah. we never thought would have happened. But it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's also crazy when you're in a pub somewhere or a bar and you see someone wearing a T-shirt of your band. Right. That's a really, you can't really explain how that feels. <laughs> it's a real experience. But, um, yeah, very grateful. That is, that is really cool, man. All right, so I want to talk about Vector, the fifth album. Uh, comes out October 26th. Talk about just the beginning. Uh, you decided, okay, it's time to work on a new album. There's some kind of concept behind it. Did the concept come first? Does the songwriting come first? Where, what's the starting point for you guys on that? We actually started with the music on this one and kind of midway during the process, we started to pen down some ideas um, for the concept, which we kind of developed and honed over the whole writing process. Um, but in terms of the music, it was actually uh, Connor and I that got down the first few ideas and we were on that tour with um, Portnoy on the Shattered Fortress tour and on the last leg of that, I think we were in Australia, I think it was, and we were, we were sharing a hotel room so we thought we'd just use the time and get some ideas down and they formed the basis for uh, two of the tracks and then we came home and we just basically had, we kind of penciled out three months where we were going to work, work intensively on it and we all were just totally involved and just bouncing ideas back off each other for about three or four months and then we got to the, the final product and I reckon to be honest this is probably the most efficient we've been as a band working together um, in the past we've taken longer and we've kind of I guess we were more busy with day jobs and stuff yeah but on this one we were just all on the same page let's just get it done and be efficient and be as um, you know concise as possible so yeah, the whole process has been fun, and yeah, I, to be honest, I can't, I couldn't be happier with how it's turned out. Yeah, what you got, uh, Nolly from uh, Periphery to to I guess mix it. You guys co-produced it with him, and then he did the recording and the mixing. Is that what happened? Yeah, basically, we're massive fans of his work on uh, the sixth album and Devin Townsend as well, and obviously his bass work and production in Periphery. Um, so during the early stages of, of the vector writing process, the, we, it was very apparent that the riffs were quite heavy. There's a certain rawness and grittiness to the music. And we were thinking about producers. And we thought it'd be cool to try something new because we've worked with Jens Bogren for the last few albums. And he's obviously an amazing producer and um, mixer. But we thought it'd be nice to kind of mix it up and try some new things. So we, we contacted Nolly and uh, he was totally up for it. And he's just the, the nicest guy to work with, very humble, very down to earth, and he's totally receptive of our ideas, and also, you know, we were receptive of his ideas as well. So it's a very symbiotic relationship. Yeah, what he brought to the uh, recording is is really amazing because there are moments, uh, you know, I had the album for a little bit, and I was trying to describe it to to some of my friends because they haven't heard it yet, and and obviously we, we weren't giving it out yet at that point, and. Uh, I, it, the bottom end of some of these songs is so massive and it, yeah. it almost I said I know that there's no such thing but it sounds like they're playing 10 string guitars like it is 
the heaviest like chunk I've ever heard, especially like on the instrumental and yeah. uh, and on Veil. So how did how did you get that sound? Well, there's a few things that he did. So obviously he's a master of mixing drums because he's got his own program and app called Get Good Drums. So we knew that he was the master of drums. So we thought it'd be cool to ask him whether he wants to get involved and oversee the first few days of the mixing process, of, uh, sorry, the recording process of the drums. So he came down to London and basically, as far as I remember, he brought his own heads down and he tuned the heads in a, in a particular way that, that basically resonated with the tuning of the song that we were playing. And that really gave the drums a huge sound, like a much bigger sound than we've ever heard before. Uh, so that was the drums. And then when it came to the guitars, because he lives about two hours away from Charlie and I, oh, cool. we, drove, we drove down there and we reamped all of our um, heavy guitar parts through a whole bunch of different amps in his studio. And um, we had a lot more kind of insight and control into how that whole um, process works. So that was cool. And that really just gave the low end this huge huge beefy sound and obviously he's a bass player so right. with Connor's parts he really knew how to bring out all that low end and yeah like you say I mean it definitely sounds heavy on, on massive speakers <laughs> yeah it's badass um, so the concept with the first single The Good Doctor and then you're teasing some new videos with Puzzle Box and it's sort of uh, the Rorschach thing the, the drawings on the cover is is there a concept about you know going crazy someone losing their mind What what is this about well, The Good Doctor is the first song on the album, and essentially that's the song that sets the scene. Um, there is a kind of loose narrative that's weaving everything through and tying all the music together. Um, so essentially, there's a kind of sinister, dark doctor who's um, performing some electroshock treatment on a patient. And during this whole process, that patient unearths a lot of kind of morbid and dark memories from his past um, and essentially the album is about how he tries to overcome these issues and is seen through the patient's eyes uh, but there is a more general theme of um, you know, psychotherapy and a lot of the psych uh, psychiatric experiments that took place in the 50s and there's definitely references to that in the lyrics but there's also a few kind of hints and clues towards earlier themes from our back catalogue and also musical ideas that yeah. I'm sure people will pick up on. Yeah, yeah. There's a little little uh, Easter eggs uh, hidden throughout, little musical tidbits that you can catch, which is which is really cool. Uh, a, a couple of noticeable differences. So you tell me if I'm, if I'm wrong here. Uh, it seems like uh, you guys are soloing, guitar soloing less. Not to, and not to give anybody that did this is any less complicated or technical than you've ever done before, but it's more rhythmical. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, I definitely would agree with that. I mean, um, there's one song, which is The Veil, where most of the solos are taking place. Um, it wasn't really a conscious decision, in all honesty. It was um, more about just focusing the songwriting and just taking what you know, is the essential part of a song and the quality sections and really bringing them to the forefront and making it more song based rather than look what I can do. I'm a shredder. Right. It's less about that and more about the song. Um, but yeah, Vale's the one which has kind of the, the solo moments. But um, yeah, I think you're right. There's definitely a, a strong emphasis on the rhythm here. I mean, I personally have been listening to a lot of uh, Tigran Hamassian 
who is this crazy Armenian jazz pianist. And he, he fuses these wacky Armenian folk melodies with crazy Meshuggah-like polyrhythmic stuff. And he does it all on the piano. And it's just wild. So I was trying to channel in some of that inspiration in there. And obviously he's heavily influenced by Meshuggah. So mm. that's another, another massive influence of ours. So yeah, we're just trying to get a lot of that stuff in there. But whilst trying to keep it digestible and uh, still very Haken-like, but it's definitely complicated. It's going to be oh, tricky. It's, to there are some <laughs> tricky parts, especially for uh, for Ray, I think. He really goes off on this album more than I, I think he, he did uh, in the past. So uh, he's, yeah. he, he's got his work cut out for him on this one. I know. like We had the songs and they were already complicated enough. And then he just went to town and kind of wrote even more complicated parts on top. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to wish him luck, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Also, you know, the album is uh, overall a, a little shorter. Now, so at what point did you decide, you know, versus uh, the need to have uh, 12 songs? Or, or, you know, how does that come into play? Yeah, I guess when people look at the, the album length, they might... Well, some fans might initially be put off because in the past we've had 75-minute albums with Aquarius and Visions and then Mountain and um, Affinity were about, about 60 minutes each, whereas this one is 45 minutes. And once again, it wasn't a decision that we initially came up with. It was more a case of us just streamlining the songs and just focusing on the key parts of those tracks and basically just cutting out all of that excess fat, You know, the parts that aren't really essential and necessary to make the song what it is and then by the end of that whole process after we chiseled away all of that stuff that wasn't essential um we were i guess left with tracks that are fairly energetic more digestible and i i for me i feel the flow of the album is, is pretty good and it doesn't there's no kind of moments which are too long and it's just a fast-paced energetic ride to be honest yeah, it really doesn't let up, except for a brief moment in, in, in Host, I guess, you know, before mm -hmm. that song gets going. But up until then, it it is just like a roller coaster ride, straight forward. I mean... It's mad. It's, it, it's it, going to be cool. Like, in it's a live crazy. Show. Well, because when we're, when we're picking songs to play live, generally we gravitate towards our heavier songs. And they're always the ones that go down well. Yeah. And they're the ones that get the, like, the crowd going crazy. So I, I've got a feeling that all of these songs are going to work pretty well on the stage. So can't wait to do that. Yeah. So talk to me about a little bit about the instrumental because that song might be the one that blows me away the most on this thing because it it's one of the best instrumentals I've ever heard. Talk to me about how that one got written and uh, how, how many changes does something like that go through before you settle on, you know, what it is exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's been a while since we've actually written an instrumental. Last one was portals and also premonition on visions yeah. but then we just stopped we stopped doing it for a while um but this one we took a lot of influence from fear factory for the first couple of minutes and a bit of sugar as well in there um but we wanted that kind of industrial very metallic sounding riffage at the beginning um so that was the first few minutes and then it just goes off on a tangent it goes a bit crazy in the middle um, and initially that one was actually actually longer but we ended up cutting it down there's a few sections at the end which we cut off and um, basically built the song to a big climax at the end um, yeah. but uh, I'm pretty sure we're going to use some other ideas that we didn't use in that song later on 
at some point. But um, yeah, with, with a song like that, usually, like with all of our songs, um, it, it's just a case of going back over it hundreds of times and just chiseling away, and then everyone having their input and everyone having their say until we, we're finally happy with the finished product. Um, but that one is, yeah, there's a few tricky licks in that one. So, <laughs> so that's, but you're going to play that one live, right? You have to. Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure that's going to be one of the, the definite tracks that we're going to play live. Yeah, boy, that's going to be some mosh pits with that one. That's going to be, uh, that's going to be pretty, <laughs> pretty cool. Um, a friend of mine who, uh, who writes for us sometimes noticed, he wanted me to ask you uh, and, and brought this up, that on the new guitars that you're using, that you're not using uh, the same type of frets. Is that, and this is getting technical, but I thought it was an interesting thing because norm, normally on the Strandberg guitars, you have temperament frets. Is it yeah. true that on these you went back to standard? Well, I've got um, three Strandberg guitars now, and my first one was just standard frets. Then the last, or well, the middle one I had was um, called True Temperament Frets. Right. Yeah, they're a bit odd looking. They're kind of like jagged frets because essentially when when you've got straight frets it's not it's apparently not perfect tuning so they're kind of compromising and kind of meeting in the middle somewhere and just creating these straight frets uh, but with the true temperament frets it's supposed to give ultimate tuning basically so the chords are supposed to ring out for longer um, which is that was my other guitar then I've got a new guitar now which is also by Strandberg which has gone back to the standard standard frets but they're slightly fanned as well but charlie's playing kiesel and he has the, the standard frets on those so talk about the choice though what what when do you decide one versus the other is it really subtle like that the average listener wouldn't really know is it easier to play what exactly is the the reasoning well i think uh, to be honest it looks very tricky to play but it almost feels like a normal guitar to be honest and in terms of the tone there isn't much difference in the tone to be honest it's just more about getting that perfect tuning. And the only problem is with true temperament frets, sometimes if you're playing with other musicians who don't have, or other kind of stringed instruments that don't have true temperament frets, there's, there's slight inconsistencies of uh, tuning. Um, but, I mean, I, don't, I really don't mind. They both feel great to me. But I got this new guitar from Strandberg about a week ago, uh, which I'll be using on the tour. And it's, uh, it's a beautiful guitar feels really nice can't wait to take it on the stage yeah you guys really you guys play some really beautiful guitars like they look completely insane um i want to talk about the tour so you got a, a, a big tour in the u.s coming up with leprous and bent knee that's an amazing lineup especially for the u.s we you know we need lineups like that more around here with bands like you guys so how did that get put together i mean you, you guys have toured with uh, have you toured with bent knee i know you've toured with leprous before but did you tour with bent knee before not bent knee, but um, I'm a huge fan of their compositional. So it's just so really creative songwriting with those guys. I love the way they kind of build up and then suddenly drop it and build up again. There's great dynamics in their music. So yeah. massive. I can't wait to see those guys live because I've never seen them. Um, but I've heard they're like amazing live as well. But with Leprous, we, we toured with them about five years ago in the UK. And it was just this exclusive to the UK so we didn't go to mainland Europe um, and that was about 10 shows and since then we've kept in contact and we're like great great buddies with those guys and, but we thought it'd be really cool to just go over to America together both bands co-headlining 
And yeah, I really can't wait to get over there. But they are just the most insane band to see. Yeah, they're they, they're great. You've seen them. They put so much passion into their show, and they still nail every every note perfectly. It's just it's amazing to see. So they're going to keep us on our toes, to be honest. Yeah, so I, can't, I can't wait. No, that's a good. Uh, that's a really good lineup. And that tour, I think, kicks off uh, November. Is that November? Yeah, well, one? it's right at the end of October. So yeah. I think the first show is the thirtieth of October throughout the whole of November. Then we finish on the second of December, I think. Right, and then uh, and then you come back to uh, Europe to do uh, some dates in uh, n- next year, twenty nineteen. Yeah, so then we've got Christmas off, and then we come back. We go to South America for the first time at the end of January, and that's going to be amazing. I mean, we went there with Mike for the Shattered Fortress. And you'd like the crowds there were just so welcoming, so warm, so passionate about the music. And we met a lot of Haken fans there, um, and they were they were saying, "Why have you played here? What are you doing?" <laughs> and it's finally coming to you know coming to fruition. Um, so that's going to happen. And then we're going to the the cruise, cruise to the edge, right. straight to that one, and then to Europe in uh, mid February to mid March. So there's a lot of touring, and um, that's what we want to do really. So we've got a new album. You can't wait to get it out there and play it, I guess. You guys have played the cruise every year for the last, like, five years you've been on a cruise. I mean, I, I must imagine you guys really enjoy it by now. Yeah, I guess we're, like, almost like the house band. Yeah. <laughs> it's really cool. It's amazing because we get a chance to bring our families over and, you know, we go to the excursions. Uh, last time we saw, I saw two different sets of Aztec ruins, which is, you know, something you don't usually see when you're playing a tour or right. when you're playing a show. So it's an amazing experience, and then you're you're on a boat surrounded by music lovers, and you get to see the same faces every day, and it's it's a cool, it's almost like a big family there. Plus, there's unlimited food, so it's not it's, it's a win-win. How much do you think, um, or did it at all? I mean, your your band's profile, or or personally for you guys, go up from doing this Shattered Fortress. Was that something that you noticed? Yeah, I think it's it's crazy. I mean, some of the venues we were playing. We're a lot bigger than we're used to, um, so definitely people would have uh, been turned on to our music from that. Um, and we played, like I said, South America, and we got chatting to the promoters there. And that's, as far as I'm aware, that's um, what led to us going to South America uh, because we'd already opened that door with Mike. Um, but yeah, Mike's got a massive following, and obviously there's a lot of yeah. Dream Theater fans out there as well who. Um, I guess would latch on to our music as well. So it, the whole experience was amazing, not just for the exposure, but it was just a, a massive humbling experience because we were playing the music we essentially love and kind of grew up listening to. Like for, for me, it seems for a memory of one of my favorite albums of all time. Yeah. So, and that the set largely consisted of those songs. And yeah, to play it with, with Mike was yeah such an amazing experience. Um, there were a lot of, I guess, really annoying comments I saw in some of the videos from that tour where you would see, you know, there's the people that said, wow, this is amazing. And then there'd be people that said, oh, it takes, you know, four guitarists to play John Petrucci's parts. Did you read that kind of nonsense? And was that... Yeah, well, we, yeah. Read about it. we kind of, we laughed about it. And obviously, John Petrucci is he's a master. He's a complete hero. Um, there's no one like him. He's kind of set. Uh, like where well, he's paved the way for so many modern guitarists. Without without John Petrucci, there wouldn't be so many of these other amazing guitarists that you hear nowadays. Um, 
so yeah he is a complete beast and um, but when it came to the recording of the album in a lot of cases he he actually did record three or four guitar parts right. uh, but when it came to when it comes to a live context i'm um, i'm sure they kind of adapt it so they could play it with one guitar so we basically um i think the way it worked was that mike asked us to to be the band that does it and then he thought he, he later asked Eric because he knew Eric was just the master of um, kind of shred basically he's, he's a great guitarist um, so he got added as well and we thought let's just try and work it out let's work out how we can kind of uh, divide his parts into three parts and it was more of us just paying paying homage to the amazing work of Dream Theater rather than us trying to be John Petrucci it wasn't it was less about that that's what it seemed to me i mean if i'm going to see you guys i don't care so much about that i'm like wow look at these three guys they're amazing <laughs> that's all yeah. that you know it's impressive who cares you know we're just huge fans of the music and just uh we're paying homage to it to be honest yeah and uh, it's funny when you read those kind of comments they're usually from people that aren't really doing anything with their lives they're just kind of sitting there on youtube and just giving people shit on youtube <laughs> that's right which is fair enough and if they want to do that but the key is just to not let it bother you to be honest yeah that's that's right uh well cool man listen uh, again i i'm the biggest fan of the band and uh i think i don't know i i this might be my favorite album you guys have done it, I, it's always too early to to uh know those things but i think it's amazing and wow. uh that is really cool to hear. I mean, because fifth album, um, to hear those kind of comments, it's really cool. No, I think it's well, a it's a culmination of everything you guys have done. It it, it sort of seems to be hitting a, a a perfect stride to me, and I think that uh and and by the way, Ross sounds the best he's ever sounded too. I want to give him credit on the new album as well. Um, yeah, he, he's nailing it with every album. He gets stronger, and his live uh, performances are getting better and better. Um, but yeah, I think he nails it like really well on this album yeah oh and listen I just got the copy of the album sent to me today and I saw my name in here so thanks for that that's always a thrill uh, I, uh, thanks for the support over the years we, we really appreciate that yeah that is super cool um, and uh, alright listen I'll let you go but I, I definitely I, I know we'll talk again and uh, you know good luck with the album good luck with the the tour you guys are coming to my town so we're going to hook up and no. uh, and hang out or something when you guys come here. Definitely, definitely. We'll grab a drink and, um, yeah, we'll hook up. All right, man. Be good. I'll talk to you soon. Take it easy, man. Bye. See you later. Yep. Bye-bye. Thanks to Rich for the interview. Don't forget to check out the new Haken album, Vector, out October 26th. And the band will be on tour at the end of October with Bentney and Leprous in North America. We're going to close with the debut single off of Vector. This is The Good Doctor. For upcoming news and interviews, please check thepargreport.com. Follow us on Facebook, at The Park Report on Twitter. And all the podcasts are available on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, Stitcher, and YouTube. Thank you. Thank you.